Every province in Canada has declared a state of emergency in its jurisdiction as the COVID-19 virus continues to spread. But is it enough? Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. Once again, we're coming to you from a remote location and practicing physical distancing to protect each other. The COVID-19 pandemic is a fluid and shifting problem, and so you have some context. We are recording this on March 26, and we can tell you that the federal government has now enacted the Quarantine Act. The Emergencies Act was brought in in 1988 to replace the previous War Measures Act. It would give the federal government sweeping powers over the provinces if they become overwhelmed when dealing with a major crisis. There are four types of crises which can trigger the Emergencies Act. A public welfare emergency, a public order emergency, an international emergency, or a war emergency. To many, this would classify as a public welfare emergency. The Prime Minister is in constant contact with the provincial premiers regarding the pandemic and whether the Emergencies Act is required. The government has said it would only use the legislation when all other avenues were exhausted. Coming up on the Unpublished Cafe, we'll take a look at the impact of the act on the economy, which has been shaken to its core. While the Emergencies Act has broad sweeping powers, not everyone feels it's needed, at least right now. Kara's Weeble is a program manager with the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, and she will join us shortly. First, to get an understanding of the act, its powers, and how it might help flatten the curve of infection. I'm pleased to be joined by Amir Adaran, professor in the Faculties of Law and Medicine at the University of Ottawa. Amir, from your perspective, does the current crisis meet the criteria to implement the Emergencies Act? Well, Ed, I would have implemented it some time ago. Uh, And I think the federal government is too slow to do this. Um, I understand the concerns of civil libertarians. Look, I've been a civil liberties lawyer myself. I have argued cases uh, in the courts on human rights many times. But this is not a case where a knee-jerk civil liberties perspective is important. And I'm frankly a little embarrassed that CCLA is uh, not seeing the forest for that particular tree. The reality is that uh, we have come to a point in this pandemic where Canada is very seriously unable to function. And Canadians are uh, living with a great deal of fear economic uncertainty, and uh, day-to-day difficulty living at home, quarantined, we do need to use every tool that is available. And that means making a declaration of a public welfare emergency and making use of the powers that the Emergency Act brings. It's not meant to be used every day, but this isn't every day. How would the act be different than, than having, say, say, each province declare its own state of emergency? With each province doing its own thing, there is no national uniformity. And certain provinces are showing themselves willing to make unreasonable exceptions to quarantine and social distancing and isolation, all of which I can tell you as a scientist are necessary to get this epidemic under control. In Ontario, we are seeing about 70 different types of businesses being classified as essential. That's preposterous. In Alberta, we're seeing the tar sands classified as essential. They're not essential when oil is trading below $20 a barrel. 
you know, for, for Alberta Select. That's not the case at all. Um, these are decisions made for economic expediency, bowing to lobbies of businesses, and not decisions made in the interest of public health. It's necessary for Ottawa to come in and exercise some federal control so that each province is not tempted to protect its pet industry at the risk of threatening our lives. How long could the Emergencies Act last if it was introduced? It is entirely up to Parliament um, because Parliament has the power to revoke a declaration of a public welfare emergency. And uh, if Parliament decides it's going on too long, that is something it can do. Otherwise, normally, um, these emergencies are renewed from time to time. So naturally, you'll have a situation where the governor and council, that is to say the federal cabinet, uh, has to reassess whether the emergency continues to exist if they think so, they'll renew the emergency. And if Parliament disagrees, Parliament can override them. It's not a blank check. You know, in, in terms of the Emergencies Act, what, what powers does it give the, the federal government? It gives quite a number of different powers when you're dealing with a public welfare emergency. There's different flavors of emergency. What we're facing is a public welfare one. This includes the power to regulate or prohibit travel. It includes uh, for the removal of personal property. Um, it includes the power to requisition property, which could include perhaps property used to make essential supplies to fight the epidemic. It includes uh, the authority um, to distribute essential goods Again, something very relevant to fighting this in our hospitals. It includes the power to make emergency payments, to establish new emergency hospitals, on and on. It really is foolish, Ed. I can't say it clearly enough. When we're dealing with a pandemic, the likes of which the world has not experienced in over a century, not to play with a full deck of cards, and yet Ottawa's hesitating to do this. And I'm as disappointed in that as many others are. Uh, today, we've seen the head of the University Health Network, the largest network of hospitals in Toronto, come out and plead with the federal government to use some of these powers. I agree, but the unreasonable hesitation on the part of government of, of Ottawa to avoid offending the provinces is getting in the way. And I'm reminded of, of a line from American constitutional law, which says the constitution is not a suicide pact. Well, our constitution is becoming a suicide pact if we're so timid about infringing provincial jurisdiction that the federal government will not take all the action needed to save lives. Amir Adaran is joining us on the Unpublished Cafe. He's a professor in the Faculties of Law and Medicine at the University of Ottawa. As we discuss the Emergencies Act and whether it needs to be introduced in uh, the current situation, the COVID-19 outbreak. And, and Amir, we talked about some of the powers of the Emergencies Act. How does that differ from what, what we saw in Parliament Hill the other day, the introduction of that $82 billion spending plan? Is that part of the Emergencies Act or no? 
Well, spending is one thing you can do under the Emergencies Act, though, of course, um, Parliament's chosen to deal with it in a different way. Fair enough. But the powers in the Emergencies Act go further. It includes that power to requisition property, which we may need to do. We may need to take over factories exactly as we would in a war effort and direct them to produce certain goods. That, to me, is the most uh, necessary power, as is the authorization to regulate the distribution of essential goods. Again, protective equipment for healthcare workers, that comes to mind, top of mind, because with, unless we're protecting healthcare workers, the rest of us aren't protected. I also am unhappy, Ed, about how weak the federal government's quarantine power is. And this is, this is shocking to me. But the way the Quarantine Act is written today, the federal government has power over international movement and quarantine, but not domestic. So to give you an example, the federal government can and now has ordered mandatory quarantine for international travelers. Those travelers say going from Miami to Montreal internationally. But the federal government under the Quarantine Act has surrendered the power to quarantine those travelers moving domestically between say Montreal and Moncton. Why? Why would we exercise less authority in our own country than we would over international movement? And this isn't a constitutional necessity. The Constitution allows the federal government to exercise quarantine anywhere if only it chooses to. What's telling is that if you look at animal quarantine, quarantining, say, cows or chickens for animal diseases, for those, the federal government does exercise quarantine authority, even domestically inside Canada. It's just for humans that the federal government has chosen to do less. And to me, that's inexplicable. From your perspective, I'm, I'm guessing from, from your comments, the Emergencies Act is what you would feel would stem this tide of infection better than the Quarantine Act. It won't. No law. Ed, in, it, in itself will stem any infections. It's the law giving the authority to government to take certain steps that stems the infection. And I see the possibility of using the law more auspiciously and more productively than it is being used right now. That's the point, is if there's ever a time to sweep aside our usual, very Canadian song and dance between federal and provincial powers and the solicitousness that Ottawa shows to the provinces, I suggest that a once in a century pandemic is the time to do that for a limited period, maybe a few months. And if we're hesitating to do this, then our Canadian national character and our Canadian constitution are a suicide pact. It will kill us to some extent. You obviously feel the Emergencies Act should have been brought in. Uh, I just want to know, what indicators are you watching for to see whether Canada will start or will be heading toward the need for the introduction of the Emergencies Act? Well, the most important indicator right now is the extent to which Canadians are, and I'm sorry to use the phrase, locked down, because it 
sounds like we're imprisoned. That's not, that's not the goal. This isn't punitive. This is preventative. We do need to all stay the hell at home. I can't put it strongly enough. And we need to do that because at this point, we have as a country blown our first chance against this disease. We had a period of time where the virus was coming in through travelers, infected travelers, and they began to propagate local infections, uh, pardon me, epidemics in their communities, in their home, in their family home, with their contacts in the community. And for a time, we were playing whack-a-mole effectively and stamping out those local epidemics as they cropped up. We are past that point. Now, over half the cases that are detected of, of persons who are testing positive for virus are of persons who have not traveled, who acquired it in the community. We have blown the chance to stem localized epidemics as they pop up. Whack-a-mole is over. What we need to do is isolate ourselves for the good of all, stay at home so that we buy some time, the localized epidemics die off and new ones are not created. And then we can gradually start releasing people back into society, starting with the least vulnerable to the illness, mainly the young, those who are not immunocompromised. Let them go forward into the community first and begin the job of reopening Canada. There will be new infections when that happens, and we will have to case by case detect and interdict them, each of those new epidemics. But we can't do that until the present ec epidemic is brought under control. We need people to stay at home to give us a second chance. Amir, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Ed. Amir Adaran is a professor in the faculties of law and medicine at the University of Ottawa. As mentioned off the top, not everyone feels there's a need for the federal government to take such broad sweeping powers over the country, at least right now. Karis Weibel is a program manager with the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, and she joins us now. Kara, do you feel the provinces each have a good handle on the situation right now? I mean, every province and territory in Canada and some municipalities have declared some state of emergency or state of uh, public health emergency. And um, they have pretty broad powers to, you know, to do what needs to be done to deal with the crisis. So I do think that um, the steps that have been taken, and I think that they're also saying, uh, many of them are saying to the federal government that they've um, they've taken the steps they feel are necessary, and they don't feel that the federal government needs to declare a state of emergency at this time. Do you feel the Emergencies Act is too far-reaching in general, or, or just not at this time? Um, you know, no, actually, I think, um, I don't actually think that the federal government, and it's strange to be a, a, civil, a civil libertarian um, saying this, I don't actually think that invoking the Federal Emergencies Act at this moment for this type of um, issue, which would be a, a considered a public welfare emergency under the Emergencies Act, um, will do much at all. Um, I don't think it will change life much for people on the ground because um, so many of us already have significant restrictions placed on our liberties by by the 
different jurisdictions that we're living in. Um, and the, the federal government, the Emergencies Act, is is quite different than the old War Measures Act. Um, you know, there's no suspension of civil rights um, under this emergencies legislation. And the powers, particularly under the public welfare section of the act, are are relatively limited in scope. Most of them wouldn't um, wouldn't extend beyond what's already being done in most provinces. Um, the, the one thing I think that I've been hearing um, from people around sort of coordination uh, around the, the invocation of a federal emergencies act is is coordination and, you know, similar standards across the country um, that the federal government might be able to to achieve that um, better. I'm not convinced that that's actually appropriate here. I think that um the, the provinces and territories and, and in some cases municipalities may be better placed to um, assess the situation on the ground and understand what's necessary. I'm not sure that it makes sense for the same kinds of restrictions to be in place in a, a northern, you know, remote community, for example, as in a large urban center. So I, I think that, um, again, it's strange to, you know, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association has um, is an organization that's very concerned about invoking extraordinary powers. And we are watching to see um, what the various governments are doing and, and speaking up when we think there are oversteps. Um, but at this stage, I actually don't think that invoking the Federal Emergencies Act um, w- would would be a big deal. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and, and I'm not sure it would be helpful. Um, I think that um, there are you know, serious federalism questions involved here about um, the power of the provinces versus the federal government. And um, if the provinces aren't asking for the the federal government to step in here, um, then I think they probably shouldn't. If people aren't self-isolating or practicing physical distancing under the provinces now, how else do you do it then? Well, I don't think, I mean, in having the federal government invoke their um, power doesn't really, wouldn't really change anything in terms of, you know, those measures. It, um, the provinces can try to enforce the restrictions that they've put in place. Um, there will always be people, I think, who who may, you know, refuse to to obey those, those restrictions. But um, having the federal government step in, I don't think would add any significant, you know, tools into the toolbox. It's the same police forces that are going to be involved in enforcing uh, the laws as, as are enforcing them right now. Is the Quarantine Act enough for the federal government to deal with this pandemic? Uh, the Quarantine Act, uh, I believe, is, is really restricted to dealing with people returning from outside the country. So um, it, doesn't, it doesn't empower the government to do, the federal government to do anything uh, about individuals who, who haven't left the country. Um, so, I mean, I think they've they've used that power. They've been using that power. Um, and, you know, I think that is the place for them to to focus their efforts because they are the, the ones sort of responsible for um, policing who who comes into and leaves the country. Um, the the Federal Emergencies Act in this case just doesn't it, it really doesn't add very much to their toolbox. Kara, I want to thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me.
Karis Weeble is a program manager with the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. The COVID-19 pandemic has turned our society upside down as each province has declared a state of emergency to deal with the health of residents. The economy has taken a pounding from the outbreak. But would the Emergencies Act help settle the markets and, and business in general? To find out more, I'm pleased to be joined by Robin Gibbard. He's a senior economist with the Conference Board of Canada. And thank you for joining us, Robin. Yeah, my pleasure. Nice to be here. Well, the, the markets and the economy are obviously looking for some stability. Would the Emergencies Act help with that? Um, maybe let's uh, start, I guess, by setting the scene a little bit uh, about what we would be talking about uh, with the Emergencies Act. So as, as you mentioned, every province and territory in the country has already uh, put their own emergencies in place. Um, so I think the question that we're really asking is what, if anything, would uh, implementing the Federal Emergencies Act do on top of what's already been done? Um, now, uh, I'm not normally a legal expert, but I can kind of paint the broad brushstrokes uh, here. Um, so for the provincial orders that are already in place, um, the details vary from province to province, obviously. Um, in some cases, they're under general emergencies. In other cases, they're called public health emergencies. But in general, these kind of provincial um, emergency measures that are already in place uh, give really expansive powers to the provinces. Um, in a lot of cases, they include language that um, kind of gives um, uh, the government's power to take virtually any action that's necessary in the public interest. Um, and I can give some examples of uh, specifics if you'd like, but, um, sure. uh, you know, even something as far as uh, shutting down borders or restricting movement can be done under these individual provinces emergency orders. Uh, and some of the territories have already done just that. They've stopped um, stopped people coming in from the rest of Canada. Um, now, on the other hand, the Federal Emergencies Act, um, uh, this is a piece of legislation that replaced the old War Measures Act. Um, uh, and that, that War Measures Act was, I think, seen as a bit of a, a, a blunt tool. Um, and in contrast to the way the provincial emergencies uh, legislation uh, legislations uh, work, the Federal Emergencies Act is written um, so that it has a closed list of powers that it grants to cabinet uh, subject to the ongoing oversight of parliament. So it specifically enumerates, um, you know, things that it allows cabinet to do, but it doesn't include any of the really broad language that we see in the provincial um, Emergencies Act. <clears throat> so um, I think the, the the challenge maybe here is is what what would enacting the Federal Emergencies Act do that um, that we can't do with the Provincial Emergencies Act? And as far as I can tell, um, the big benefit, uh, if you will, in air quotes, to the Federal Act would um, just be to ensure consistency across the country. So um, I, I think that would be the the main difference from what we've seen so far is that it would allow the federal government to um, impose the same um, uh, standards of behavior, uh, penalties, that kind of thing across the country. Um, it, it does sound like, um, you know, the, the prime minister has been in touch with the premiers to talk about whether this, necess this is necessary, and um, they don't think so yet, but I'm sure that's an ongoing conversation, and it may become necessary to access that consistency that the federal act provides um, in the future. So I guess that's kind of a, a starting point um, um, for for any kind of discussion about what the Emergencies Act would do. All right, and and all right. When we look at the the Emergencies Act, and it does provide broad financial powers, how does it differ from the eighty two billion dollar package that was passed yesterday? Yeah, I, I would really emphasize that the main thing I think the main power that the federal government has here is the power of the purse. Um, you know, um, uh, really, it's the it's the federal government's ability to to, to spend money and to borrow money um, that is going to be the most useful tool they have here. 
to get us through this crisis. Um, so um, I don't know that the, the Emergencies Act gives some additional spending power, but I think at this point, um, you know, we saw a fair bit of cooperation in Parliament um, from all parties earlier this week. I think, you know, virtually nothing is off the table in terms of um, of, of spending by the federal government. Um, uh, I do think what we've seen so far is um, not going to be sufficient to see us through. So the big, the kind of big measures the federal government has announced is uh, $55 billion worth of deferred tax payments and another $27 billion uh, worth of kind of um, direct assistance to individuals through um, expanded EI programs, largely. Um, I, you know, I think that's that's not going to be sufficient. So um, we they keep saying that, um, you know, this is only the first phase uh, of their approach to the crisis. And I certainly expect them to do more. And um, I think it'll be necessary for them to do more. When you see what is is been brought forward already or was approved at, uh, on Parliament Hill, what else do you see that is needed to get us through this financially? So. Yeah, I think there's kind of two things I would point to. The first thing I would point to is that um, uh, the programs that have already been announced, I'm I'm worried that they're not not sufficient to deal with like the immediate next few weeks. Um, so, for example, the big new um, Canadian emergency uh, benefit that they announced, um, this is $2,000 a month to everybody who has lost their income uh, as a result of this crisis. Uh, that isn't, you're not, it's not, you're not even going to be able to apply for that until April 6th. Um, and presumably checks would start flowing, you know, some weeks after that. Um, and I think we're going to see a lot of Canadians um, not being able to pay their rent or mortgage come uh, the start of April. Um, so that's one thing um, I'm pretty concerned about is that um, uh, we're just not going to be able to get money to people uh, fast enough. I'm not, I'm not sure there's an easy solution to this one. Um, it's, uh, uh, you know, in, in um, uh, sometimes in economics, we like to joke that um, uh, we like to start by assuming a can opener. And I think, um, you know, in, in a perfect world here, you'd like to assume that the government could just airdrop $2,000 into every person's hands or something like that. But the truth is we just don't have we don't have the um, the infrastructure in place to do something like that. So there are going to be delays. And I think um, what we need to see, uh, given that from the federal government in the short term is, uh, you know, a little bit more clarity about um, what's expected from people on the first. So they've already um, announced measures to, to, to help shore up um, bank liquidity, and they've tried to push banks to give people flexibility on mortgage payments. We haven't really seen anything consistent on uh, on rent rent payments, um, we saw a bit of a measure from BC yesterday to support rent payers, but I think there just needs to be some clarity about what is expected of people on the first of April. Um, you know, if if um, if there's going to be a, a rent moratorium, if you know, just at least make clear that that's the case, and that you know, if if and when landlords are going to be made whole, um, just a little bit more clarity about what people are expected to do during the crunch before the the big dollars start flowing. Is there a point that you look to in this crisis where there is a financial argument for bringing in the Emergencies Act? Well, uh, again, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, uh, I'm not sure what additional financial measures um, uh, you could put in place with the Emergencies Act that you can't do without it. Um, you know, it seems to me it's more of a, a control on civil civil liberties thing. You know. It allows you to, to restrict to freedom of movement, um, uh, that kind of thing. It does allow emergency spending. 
but as I said, I don't think um, I don't think you're going to get too much pushback uh, from the opposition right now on on unnecessary spending measures. Uh, at least it doesn't seem that way to me. Robin, I want to thank you for joining us. Absolutely, my pleasure. Robin Gibbard is a senior economist with the Conference Board of Canada. As you've heard, the Emergencies Act comes with some broad powers for the federal government. It's indicated it would only use as a last resort. So we'd like to hear from you about this. Do you feel the federal government should enact the Emergencies Act, or do you feel the provinces have control of the crisis and it's not necessary? You can log on and vote at unpublished.vote and have your voice heard. Our next podcast will keep the light train on COVID-19 as we discuss food safety in the midst of this pandemic. I want to thank my guests on the Unpublished Cafe, Amir Adaram with the Faculties of Law and Medicine at the University of Ottawa. Kara Zweibel is with the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, and Robin Gibbard is a senior economist with the Conference Board of Canada. And I want to thank you for listening to the Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.